I'm glad to have you here with us this morning virtually. If those of you didn't know, uh, Pastor Joe and Kathy went away for this week just to get a little rest, rejuvenation. So we just wish them well and look forward to them coming back this week. Pastor Joe asked me to teach this morning, and I'm always blessed. I'm just blessed tremendously every time I prepare for a message and I get the opportunity to, to speak and share with you. I've titled today's message, The Riches of His Grace, The Riches of His Grace. And I've based it on a verse in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. And let me read the, the verse to you as you turn to there. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. This verse is really core to our salvation in the Lord. And in him, Christ, in him, Christ, we have been redeemed by his blood forgiven and accorded many of the spiritual riches according to his grace. Really, our relationship with God is based on this grace, and it allows us to experience only the peace that he can give, only the peace that he can give. We know that God's grace is given to us abundantly, and we're without merit to receive this grace. And it really equips us for our living, our daily lives. It really equips us for our daily lives. So this morning, I'd like to just cover a couple of things this morning, looking at the book of Ephesians. I'd like to cover, number one, how this grace shapes our relationship with the Lord and how it sustains us. And then number two, I'd like to look a little bit, just a little, at how this grace shapes how we treat each other, how we live our lives. So let's look at the book of Corinthians, book of Corinthians, and let me start with chapter 1. I'd like to just hit a couple of key verses in chapter 1 that really establish the whole purpose of the book of Ephesians. As you're all well aware, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter. Remember, epistles are letters. And he's writing a letter to the believers in Ephesus. And the believers, Paul started a church there after his second missionary journey. And he's really speaking to the believers in Ephesus to try to encourage them what they have in Christ, the spiritual riches we have in Christ. And then also talk a little bit about what our practice, what our lives, what our behaviors should be like now that we're in Christ. So I'm going to start with <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 1. And just to give you a little background, I'm going to read verses 1 through three. So Ephesians chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. I'd like to start with that verse 3. Verse 3. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know, as believers in Christ, we have a wealth of blessings in the Spirit. We have a wealth of blessings. Many times as we look at this, we can call it our spiritual bank account. We have a bank account with the Lord. 
I know many of us think of our bank account. We look at the balance and how much money or assets we have. But in Christ, we have a tremendous amount of spiritual blessings that we can take advantage of. And just a few of those include his adoption, you know, of us, his redemption, his acceptance of us, the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And all of these are available to us just by us asking and taking advantage of it. So I'd like to highlight some of these as we talk about the blessings that we have in the heavenly heavenly places in Christ. I like to also think, and I think you would agree with me, these blessings are a lot more valuable than any kind of material possession that we might have. I know we look at our material possessions and we think, well, I have this, I have that, and I have this asset, or I have this. But these spiritual blessings are a lot more than any material thing that any material thing could provide for us in terms of our happiness or, in our, or our peace. So I'd like to start with this quote from the great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And this is what he said about our spiritual blessings as we compare them to our material blessings. This is what he said. Our thanks are due to God for all temporal blessings. They are more than we deserve. But our thanks ought to go to God in thunders of hallelujahs for spiritual blessings. A new heart is better than a new coat. To feed on Christ is better than to have the best earthly food. To be an heir of God is better than being the heir of the greatest nobleman. To have God for our portion is blessed, infinitely more blessed than to own broad acres of land. God hath blessed us with spiritual blessings. These are the rarest, the richest, the most enduring of all blessings. They are priceless in value. Amen. Amen. These spiritual blessings are priceless in value. So one of these spiritual blessings is the grace that God gives to us in redeeming us and helping us to live this new life in Christ. Another anchor verse that many of us, we should memorize this verse, is here in chapter 1, verse 7. If you follow a little further down in chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In him, in Christ, we have redemption you know, the Greek word for redemption here is lutria, lutria, which means to liberate on the receipt of ransom. Christ paid our ransom with his blood on our behalf. We are forgiven because he shed his blood for us. This forgiveness and redemption is immense and not based on anything we have done, but according to the riches of his grace. Let's look at that word grace. I like this acrostic acrostic, and I'm reminded some of you, what is an acrostic? Acrostic is really a phrase or a writing that you base on the word, using the letters of a word. So the word grace, someone wrote this acrostic that said, grace, God's riches available at Christ's expense. That's what it is. God's riches available at Christ's expense. So knowing that our salvation is according to his riches of grace, and we cannot earn it, Let's look further into God's grace and mercy for us. Many people, when we talk about the grace of God, refer to chapter 2 of Ephesians. Chapter 2. You look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is the great, great, contains the great scriptures that we often use when we talk about the grace of God as it relates to our faith and our salvation. Let's start 
with verses 1 of chapter 2, and we'll go through verses 1 through 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, of the <clears throat> course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This passage of scripture here, verses 1 through 3, really describe our lives before we came to know Christ. And it really refers to how we were dead spiritually, separated from God, and unable to commune with God. And that we were living according to our own flesh, according to the ways of the world. I like this word trespassing. It said, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. What is trespassing? Basically, it's what <clears throat> breaking the boundaries, breaking, <clears throat> going beyond the boundaries that God set up for us. What is sin? Missing the mark, right? Missing the mark of moral perfection. And who were we following when we weren't walking with God? We were really following what? The prince of this world, Satan. And the sons of disobedience, we were involved with people that were living in sin or had no concept or knowledge of God. So we are basically living according to the flesh. I know many of us who came to the Lord later in life, we can think about our lives before Christ. And we used, sometimes we call that our BC days, you know, before Christ. And you think about those days before you knew the Lord. How were you walking? What were you thinking? How were you living? You really lived according to whatever the world or whatever your flesh or whatever made pleasing or what was pleasing to you. So in verses 1 through 3, we talk about how we're dead to God before we come to know him. And now going on to verses 4 and 5. Let's look. Verse 4 and 5. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. These are really powerful verses. Think about it. Before Christ, the way we were living. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. God is mercy. It's really evident throughout the Bible, God's mercy. When we look back in the Old Testament, and we see as God was speaking to Moses in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 6, it says, <clears throat> and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and bounding in goodness and truth. We know God is mercy, is love. God loves us, and he's shown mercy through us by sending his son to die for us. I always like to remind everyone when I talk about grace and mercy, what's the difference between grace and mercy? We've shared this a number of times when we talk here. And basically, it is what? Grace, getting something you don't deserve, and that's God's unmerited favor, and mercy, not getting what you do deserve. That's the difference between grace and mercy. As we look at God's grace and his mercy and Jesus' death on the cross, I'm reminded of these great words, but God, but God. Remember in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God... 
demonstrates his love towards us and that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'd like to think about or like you to think about the words, but God. And Pastor Joe's talked and shared about this before. Wherever you see the words, but God, take note because what? God is intervening. He's doing something. He's going to do something great or he's going to change something or he's going to do something in your life. In this case, what? He sent his son when we were lost to save us. But I'd also look and suggest you look at the examples in the Bible of other great men and women of the Bible where God intervened. Example, Abraham. When Abraham was traveling to find his land to settle, and when he told his Sarah, his wife, to say he was his sister because they were coming into the land of King Abimelech, he told his wife, say you're my sister because he was afraid. She was very beautiful. And he thought King Abimelech will kill him to get his wife. What does it say in Genesis chapter 20, verse 3? But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. God intervened. God intervened in spite of Abraham and what he tried to do. Another example, David, King David. When King Saul sought to kill David, as you recall, because God had anointed David to be the next king. What had happened as Saul was chasing David? This is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 14. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hands, but God intervened. And lastly, Joseph. We've been speaking, and Pastor Joe's been talking, teaching about Joseph on Sunday nights. And Joseph, remember when his brother sold him into slavery? He was forsaken and without hope. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. But as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Who of us, and I'd ask you to think, cannot think of a time when God intervened, but God, when he brought us to salvation, what we were doing, where we were living, where we were at, but God, what did he do? He came and he drawed himself near to you, calling you through the power of his Holy Spirit. I know I'd like to think, as we think, reflect on our lives, all the different times God intervenes, well, that same God can intervene this morning. Wherever you're at, I don't know what you're going through, your relationships, the trials, the tribulations. Remember, but God, but God can do the work. God can intervene as he did in these men and women of the past. He can intervene in our lives today. We just need to seek and follow after him and walk according to his spirit. Let's look at verses 6 and 7 now, chapter 2. And raised us up together, <clears throat> and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Again, powerful verses that indicate how we've been reconciled to God and have fellowship with him, and that we can now sit in the heavenly places. If you do a great reading or have studied Ephesians a lot, you know 
sitting in the heavenly place and sit together in the heavenly places is a phrase that's used throughout the book of Ephesians. And it really refers to how we have now have right to the kingdom of God and to sit in heavenly places and to enjoy the spiritual blessings that God has provided for us. I like this commentator on this particular scripture. His name is Clark, and he said, Now we sit in heavenly places. We have a right to the kingdom of God, anticipate this glory, and are indescribably happy in the possession of this salvation in our fellowship with Christ Jesus. It's really talking about how we're in fellowship now with the Lord, and we can continue to enjoy this fellowship. In verse 7, when he says, He reconciled us to him so that we can be a testimony, a testimony to those of us around us of his grace and mercy in the transformation of our lives and how we live. And then he says, this will carry on for ages to come. When we think about the great Bible teachers, and often, as I did, we quote Charles Spurgeon. We may quote Alan Redpath. We may quote Warren Worsby. Who are these guys? These are guys, what? A real testimony of God's grace and God's work through the ages. I think of someone that is probably close and known to us, Pastor Raul Reese. Pastor Raul Reese. He's a great example of God's grace and mercy and what God did in his life. I had the opportunity, as I was a teenager, to work a couple of jobs part-time. And in those jobs, I happened to work with supervisors who had gone to school with Pastor Raul. And as I shared with them and I told them, you know, I'm going to church and the pastor is Pastor Raul Reese. And they go, Raul Reese? And I said, yeah, Raul Reese. Raul Reese went to Ball Park High School. And I go, yeah, so we're good. And they told me, no, that can't be possible. And I go, no, he's a Christian now. He really, you know, he's walking with the Lord. No, no, no. <laughs> they said, no, not him. And they describe, and I don't need to go into the detail <laughs> about his life prior to Christ. But God, again, doing the work. And for almost 50 years now, how much he's ministered and been a blessing and how he's what influenced so many more to the kingdom of God through his life. Those are the examples that we have. And probably you have more examples in your own life when you think of someone who's really had a a great impact on you or made a great testimony to you. Let's go on to verses 8 and 9. And these are really the core verses that all of us, Really, when we talk about the grace of God, we recite these verses. We always come back to these verses because they're so important to our salvation. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is, a, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I like to think of grace all the time because we all need grace in our lives But when you look at the word grace and its definition, the Greek word for grace is cherish, cherish or cherish. We really get our word, our English word charity from that word cherish. It's really an attribute of God that manifests itself in the salvation of us sinners according to his grace, according to God's unmerited favor. So when you look at verses 8 and 9, it's for by grace or this unmerited favor that we've been saved. And it's through what? Our faith. Our faith. And what is our faith? Believing in God, trusting Christ as our Lord and Savior. There's nothing we can do to earn it. 
It's really a gift, right? A gift is a gift. The work was already done on the cross. This concept of grace, only saved by grace and by the blood of Jesus, is something Paul, the Apostle Paul, throughout the epistles, he emphasizes this. And I'm going to give you some verses here where God really shares what, how important this grace is. Starting with Galatians, when Paul's speaking to the church of Galatia. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith. In Romans chapter 5, verse 15 He says, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many in Christ, and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. Speaking to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And lastly, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So it's important, and this is what we can establish, this fact. Our relationship with God is not based on our works, anything that we can do, or our righteousness, but on God's grace and love for us through Jesus Christ. You know, when you talk about grace and you look at different commentaries and studies on the word grace, many commentators refer to something called the grace secret, the grace secret. And it's basically this. Keep this in mind. We cannot earn our salvation. Therefore, we must stop trying to make ourselves lovable to God and simply receive His grace and receive His great love while recognizing that we are unworthy of it. This is the grace secret of the Christian life. You think about it, so simple, right? So simple. We're saved by grace, grace secret. And there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. But it's interesting as individuals and as humans, how many times we will think, maybe if I do this one thing more, if I go to church a little bit more, if I do the things that this other person does, maybe God will bless me more. Or maybe, uh, but we need to remember that nothing changes God's love for us. And through his grace, our relationship will never change. Through that grace. I recently read Chuck Smith's book, you know, Pastor Chuck from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. It's a book that's been around a long time. I read it again. It's the book titled, Why Grace Changes Everything. And this is what Pastor Chuck said. He said, if we are trusting in our righteousness as a basis for our relationship with God, we will never experience consistent peace. Trying to relate to God on the basis of effort and works is always a struggle, always a strain, always pressured. If we are ever to come to know the peace of God, we must realize that this amazing grace of God first flows towards us, even though we're rotten and undeserving of it. Isn't it true? We don't deserve grace, and that's why it's unmerited favor, but we receive this grace. 
And as Pastor Chuck was talking about this grace, he reminded me again of the peace and the peace that we can't experience until we understand the grace that God has for us. He called it the Siamese twins, grace and peace. And we're reminded through this grace and peace and how one always follows the other. Grace always comes before our peace. And we looked, as we read here in Ephesians in the first, second verse of chapter 1, what did Paul say? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He always started his epistles with what? Grace and peace. And Romans chapter 1, verse 7, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians, to the church of Galatia, Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ. Paul was always reminding us of his grace and his peace. And in order to receive and experience that peace, we first have to understand and experience that grace. I like in the book of Romans, it really kind of confirms that and brings it to conclusion. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's also reinforced in James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I guess I asked the question this morning. Are you experiencing God's peace this morning? Have you accepted his grace? Have you come to know the Lord as personal Lord and Savior? Do you have this relationship where you can rest in his peace? Accept his grace. Live in his grace and you can experience that peace. In addition to not only this grace in our relationship with God, this grace can also help us through our trials and tribulations. As we read with the Apostle Paul, if you recall, he had a thorn in the flesh. Remember, he had a thorn in the flesh. And Paul prayed to God that he would take away this thorn in the flesh. But God told him, how he should deal with it and what he should do. Looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8-10, through 10, let me read. Concerning this thing that I pleaded with the Lord three times, that it might depart from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was really describing how he could <clears throat> live with his infirmity, knowing that God's grace what, would sustain him. This is the same grace that allows us to continue on life when we face trials and tribulations. God provides for our need. What did God, <clears throat> what did Paul say? How God will supply all our needs in Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And in John chapter 1 verse 16. And his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. 
Grace not only gives us peace, but it also equips us for his work, the life we live. And we'll see that as we move on into the next chapter. Let's go into verse 10. Verse 10. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Very powerful verse also here. Now that we receive this grace and we're walking in the ways of the Lord, what does it say? We are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. This word workmanship is really derived from the Greek word poema, which we get our word poem. So we're really a beautiful poem. The Jerusalem Bible translates workmanship as a work of art. So how do we start living and doing these good works? We first, we are changed, right? Remember how it said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. So we're a new creation, and we're able to do these works. But we what? We need to put on this new man. We need to put, his, put on this new man. And Paul, here in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, a little bit later, chapter 4, verses 20 through 22 to 24, he refers to this new man, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, as that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, throughout the New Testament, we're talked about, he, Paul talks about this new man, this new person that we've become as we put our faith in Christ. And when he was speaking to Titus, in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, what, zealous for good works. So Christ, who gave himself for us, redeemed us from sin, purified a special people, what, now for good works, zealous, anxious, happy to do good works. You know, these good works were reminded throughout Scripture about works and good works. You know, in the book of James, James chapter 2, verse 26, what does it say? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was speaking, chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So it's clear that God prepared us for, uh, for good works. But how do we do those good works? How do we do that in our own power? Well, I like what the great Bible commentary, commentator, Warren Worsby, what he said when it comes to how we can do these good works. This is what Warren Worsby said. He said, God cannot work through us unless he works in us. This is why it's important for us to spend time daily in the word and prayer and to yield to Christ during times of suffering. For it is through the word, prayer, and suffering that God works in us. This is so important. We need God to work in us and through us. Again, looking back at Ephesians in chapter 3, a little bit later, Paul says in chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever, ever and ever. The power that works in us. So how do we get that power? How do we get the power to do those good works? Again, remember Worsby, three things. The word, prayer, and suffering. Let me just say, we are reminded constantly the importance of what? Reading the word, studying the word. Because what did <clears throat> Paul tell Timothy? Remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. Every good work. Those same works that what? They spoke of in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. And also in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in what? Every good work. And what? Increasing in the knowledge of God. How can we increase in the knowledge of God unless we're reading and studying and meditating his word? Number two, prayer. I don't think I have to expound much on prayer and the importance of prayer. We advocate, we encourage, we exhort the importance of prayer here at Calvary Cornerstone. And we make opportunities for people to pray and we encourage you to take care of or take advantage of those opportunities. Because remember in Ephesians, again in Ephesians, later in chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication of the sins. Perseverance means continuing on. And supplications means specific, specific to the needs of what you might want God to do. In 2 Thessalonians, again, Chapter 5, verse 17 through 18. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And lastly, suffering. Suffering is probably the hardest thing to speak about. No one likes suffering. I don't like suffering. (laughs) If we're human, we all refer and say, suffering, oh, I do not like suffering. But suffering is necessary sometimes for God to do a work in our lives. And how we respond... How we respond to the suffering, this is really what's important. In Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Again, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, and strengthen and settle you. After we suffered a while, let him settle, strengthen us, establish us. You know, many of these things, we can't do it in our own power, right? We can't do this. We can't withstand the suffering. We cannot, you know, love people on our own power. But with the Holy Spirit, it can do the work if we apply ourselves. But that Holy Spirit's not coming to us unless we what? Pray. We read the word. And what? We trust God in all our sufferings and trials and tribulations. I like Philippians. Paul's really great, great encouragement of 
in Philippians because once he talks about that Holy Spirit in the work, he said in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. It is for God who works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. So having received this grace, having received this grace, how do we live? How do we live? How do we conduct ourselves? How do we interact with each other? Do we share the same grace that God gives us? Let's look again to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, and love. Again, in Ephesians, later in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-selling aroma. So how do we do this? Again, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us, right? And we only do this through prayer, reading the Word. But when we do have the Spirit, we need to make sure that we walk in the Spirit. I know I was just thinking yesterday, I was not walking in the Spirit very much. Someone was blocking my parking space. And I thought, are you going to move? <laughs> and they just stayed there. <laughs> and they were talking to someone. But I thought it was kind of rude, you know, that you're blocking the parking space. Can I park? And they didn't move. I had to go drive further away <laughs> and park further away. Well, at that time, I was not walking in the Spirit. <laughs> I was really, what, walking according to the flesh because I didn't think good thoughts. But when we walk in the Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, we really can show the fruits of the Spirit, right? Because what does it say in Galatians 5, 22 through 25? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there is such no law, and those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So, I needed to, what? Have self-control. What? I needed to, what? Show gentleness. I needed to, what? Really live in the Spirit. Because what did it say in John, 1 John 1, 7? But if we walk in the light, as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Okay. Now that we have this grace, I'd just like to summarize with a couple of thoughts of how we can share this grace with each other. I just wanted to add this to you, just to a thought as you leave this morning. Since we're rich in spiritual blessings, how do we share the blessings and show the same grace we receive in God to others? Throughout the New Testament, we're really exhorted to minister to one another. So in Peter chapter 4, verse 10 Peter exhorts us, he says, As each one has received a gift, minister, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know, in our home, my home, my beautiful wife, Lily, has decorated the home with lots of different signs, different plaques. These plaques really talk about God's grace. And one plaque over our dining room area, it says, In this house... We do grace, love, and hugs. In our refrigerator, there's another one that says, choose grace. In our bathroom, there's another one that says, amazing grace. As I see these signs every day, I'm reminded of God's grace. But I'm also reminded of what? That I need to show grace 
to others the way God showed his grace to us. I like the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians. He was encouraging all his readers with real principles for authentic learning or living, I should say. And, and this really included ways we can really have our conversations exhibit love and grace to everyone encounter. So let me read to you just a little section right here from chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 from the book of Colossians. And again, remember, having received this grace, putting on the new man, what does Paul encourage us to do? He says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You know, Paul continued this exhortation later in chapter 4, verses 6, when he said, Let your conversation be always full of grace, reminding us not simply the presence of words, but the quality of the words full of grace that would really allow us to be a true encouragement to others. You know, I read a lot of different books, and I get books recommended by some things I read. One book that I'm reading right now is called Wake Up to Wonder. The author, her name is Whitney Hopler, and she's really talking about different things that we can make ourselves aware of and how God every day makes something special and something happens that we get to see God's presence or God's either in his creation or in some interaction or something we do. So he tries to make aware of all the different things that we miss sometimes when we not look at what God has done. In this book, she lists five ways that we can show grace to others. And I just want to share those five ways that we can share grace with others. And it really aligns to this section in the book of Colossians, you know, where Paul was speaking to us. Let me share those five ways. Number one, choose loving words. Use words that encourage and uplift. Remember, going back to the scripture, put on tender mercies, bearing with one another, bearing with one another, encouraging one another. Number two, apologize and forgive. Apologize when you wrong someone and likewise forgive others when they wrong you. What did Paul say in the scripture? And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Number three, do acts of kindness. Show kindness every day in a small way. What did it say? Put on tender mercies, kindness, kindness, in Paul's words. Number four, express gratitude. Be thankful to God and show gratitude to others. Remember, gratitude thanking God all the time for his blessings and what he's done for us, but also to others who do things for us. And lastly, number five, listen to other people's stories. Listen intently to show respect and care and develop a relationship with them. This is such a neat thing as we share with each other, as we fellowship with each other, as we put on tender, kind words to each other, as we forgive each other. We all need to also show the respect and care because God loves us all the same. So in closing, in closing, we are rich in God's grace. May this grace help us 
live a life that is pleasing to him and that we may share this grace with others. For what? Because we are his workmanship. We are his poem. We are his beautiful poem. May we live that. God bless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning again to thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for teaching us through your word, Lord, and and just through your spirit, Lord. You make us aware of our lives, Lord, and what we need. And Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, Lord. We thank you for the relationship we can have for, with you, Lord. Not based on anything that we've done, but only on your grace, Father. We pray this morning, Lord, that you guide us and strengthen us as we live, leave this place, Lord. Again, that we might show the same grace that we receive to others around us, Lord. And Lord, that we might be a light and a witness to those around us, Father. And that we might have an impact for you, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord. We give you all the glory and praise and honor, Lord. And this morning, we thank you for the offering we're about to receive, Lord. Again, you bless us so abundantly, Lord. May we use it to further your kingdom and use it appropriate, Lord. And just bless those that are faithful to you, Lord, in their giving, Father. We thank you and praise you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, we all say, Amen. Well, I just